So I was lucky enough to know Marie for a couple of years. She actually was a mentor and advisor for a startup program that I went through with my first business that ultimately failed. Uh, but her and I clicked on, on some sort of personal level. And so she was, was always friendly to me. And after that business failed, but I was doing other things and thinking about Pulse Blueprint and what it meant to launch this initiative to harness the world's entrepreneurial knowledge. Every time I'd see her at a meetup, we both live in Toronto, I would say, oh, you know, Marie, um, I'm going to be starting something soon and uh, I'm, I'm going to interview you. Are you going to make time for me? And she kept saying, yeah, absolutely. What, whatever works. Like, call me anytime. You know you can reach out to me. And I probably said that to her maybe five, six times over as many months. And, you know, each time I was going to start something with Pulse Blueprint, I was like, oh, you know, I, I don't know, whatever. But then I'd see Marie and be like, Marie, I'm going to call you. I'm, I'm going to call you. I, I'm going to interview you. I hope you're going to make time for me. And it was weird because it actually became something of a confidence booster for me. Every time Marie kind of said, you know, yes, Stefan, you know, just, just call me and I will happily interview with you. Um, it, it was a good assurance that I, I mattered and I, I was important that, you know, someone like Marie who, who has tons of demands on her time. Um, she's running a, a growing, uh, bigger business than she was before. She was fundraising at the time. I didn't know that because it wasn't announced yet, but you know, she had a lot on her plate and, and she kept saying she'd make time for me. Uh, and that made me feel fantastic. And so when I actually got to sit down with her, I didn't have a topic in mind. Um, I just knew that that I wanted to tell a story about her. I knew that there was something there over the the two and a half years that we'd known each other. It's like, yeah, there there is something here. And it was funny because she called me out on that. We sat down and she goes, you know, okay, Stefan, what are we here to talk about? Uh, what do you want to know? I'm like, well, I, just, I actually have a few questions. I just want to, you know, dig from there. And she goes on this uh, mini rants of how it's how it's crucial to to know the point of a meeting and and she meant it very lovingly. It was it was like healthy feedback for me. She wasn't complaining, and I was like, yeah, fair, absolutely, sure. You know what what would you like to talk about? And she talked about you know incubators and accelerators that she had been through. Um, and I was like, oh, that's really interesting. But like, talk to me about, you know, your team and, and you're growing, you know, you just fundraised, uh, you know, when I had done this interview, they had just announced a, a multi-million dollar fundraise. So I'm like, well, what, there's gotta be stuff there. She's like, yeah, we're going to double the team, um, you know, in a year and we're going to, we're going to double. And I'm like in my head thinking, okay, you know, as a, as a journalist and as someone who's kind of poked around the tech ecosystem for a while now, I see that companies often falter when they add tons of people, either on a percentage basis or on an absolute basis. Um, and, and Sampler was at 15 people. They're planning to be over 30 by 2020. And it sounds like not that much. You know, oh, you're hiring one person a month approximately. Uh, that That's nothing. But the reality is that from a culture perspective, the living organism of a business has to actually evolve or the pressure from the, the new minds coming in will crush it. And so I, I, in that moment, I was like, all right, this, this is what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about scaling this business. And I initially thought that we were just going to talk about hiring. But then Marie looked at me and said, you know, one of the words that 
we use a lot here is ownership. And I'm like, okay, you know, so does, so does every startup, uh, not to be rude. Um, but talk to me, like, what does ownership even mean for you? Because so many people talk about this. It's, it's on so many uh, corporate value sheets, you know, care like an owner, think like an owner, be an owner, uh, but take ownership. But, but what does that, that mean? And one of the things I love about Marie, you know, and I found this out about her when she was a mentor, but I, I continue to respect her for it, is that she doesn't answer with placating terms. She answers with examples. So when I said, what does ownership mean to you? She dove into the story that is in the article. She said, oh, you know, well, part of it is people need to interview each other because then they're going to be far more invested. We're not just going to say you're going to sales interview with the sales team. We're saying meet a cross section of this company because this is who your team is. And it was interesting because that does two things. One is that it makes sure that employees uh, care about the individual. So if I'm involved in someone's hiring process, you know, I'm, I'm going to be giving a little bit of my social credibility if I say that that person's the right person to hire. Uh, but it also cements the mindset that you're not picking people for a thing. You're picking people for a company. And when the, the person in marketing is genuinely asked their thoughts of the engineering hire, you know that it's not about can they code. Because, of course, they're going to get tested for that. The job interview process has to find relevant skills for, for relevant jobs. But it can also find people who are great fits for the organization that maybe weren't the best option for the direct job they applied for, but may have fit somewhere else. And without something like what Marie did, where she has a cross-section of the company interview, they may not have found that out. And they may not have understood that that person was great somewhere else. And they use a tech tool. They use Plum.io. And the founder of Plum, Caitlin McGregor, is a brilliant entrepreneur. But Plum helps you figure out, okay, it's it. they might be good somewhere else. But without that human side, without that cross-sectional interviewing, how is the other team supposed to know that they like this person? And then, you know, Plum is, is not too expensive, but it costs money. And not everyone has a ton of money. And I'm like, okay, well, let, let's talk about something tangible here, Marie. You know, you, you're a growing company. You might have just raised a few million, but you know that you're not going to be able to spend that on perks and process. You have to do things and, and hire people, and, and people should be paid what they're worth, but that makes them expensive. And she says, okay, fair. Uh, you know, we used to do these weekly meetings where they would be about half the company, all the managers and the senior people, whatever, and nobody knew what the heck went on. So you'd have, you'd have a junior employee and people would start on a Monday and the first two hours of their first day, no one's around. Like, what, what is that? And so she thought, okay, ownership is transparency as well. Ownership is you need to know what's going on. I can't just tell you to care like an owner and then hide the operations from you. You know, if this were a, to use a house as a metaphor, I can't tell you you have to clean the whole house and then not let you on the second floor. So she made them open. Now, what I like is the way that she did this. She didn't just say, you know, it's now an all-hands company meeting. It's like, no, that meeting has a purpose, and that purpose is important and must be protected. It's for the managers and the directors and, and Marie to set priority, which is crucial in a startup and in any company. But she said, okay, fine. Anyone can listen in. Dial in. 
so that you can hear what's going on on a Monday morning. And I, what I loved about that was it did two things. It demystified it. So if you couldn't dial in whatever, at least you knew exactly what was going on. Uh, but if you did dial in, you got to hear everything. They didn't censor their meetings. The meetings didn't change. They just allowed their team to listen in, and I love that. And then Murray would actually send a, a, a recap afterwards, letting people know. So even if you couldn't dial in, you weren't excluded. And I love that transparency, that camaraderie, that team notion, because it really was a reverse engineer of the fundamental tenets of ownership. The person who owns is privy to all. They have that privilege. And therefore, doing that in a company setting increases ownership. You know, I could go on like this for a while. Marie is someone who has so many great ideas and is so open to sharing them. I wish that I could have made this five times as long and just kind of shadowed Marie for a day. But one of the takeaways that I really wanted for entrepreneurs from this article in particular is that these things do not have to be big and they do not have to be costly. Imbuing ownership and, and teaching people to be an owner simply means treating them like one. So if you, as the business owner, the founder, CEO, entrepreneur, small business owner, whatever you call yourself, think of the things that you get, the access that you get, the knowledge that you get, and see how much of that you can offer in some way to your team. And if you can't offer them the same authority that you have because you don't uh, believe in consensus management, totally fine, or that's not the right decision for your business, then at least make them aware of the process for the entire time and where appropriate, give them an opportunity to give feedback and give their opinions. Because if you want someone to care like an owner, you need to treat them like one. And that doesn't mean giving them carte blanche access to the bank account. It just means giving them as much access and privilege and opportunity as you possibly can. I hope that you enjoyed this piece. I hope that you get the chance to read through it and then read it again because there are some amazing tangible examples coming out of here. And then read some other stuff. We've got a lot of fantastic articles, interviews, thought pieces, contributed pieces here on Pulse Blueprint. And if you want to engage with us, leave a comment on the blog, ask a question, or shoot us a note on social. We are at Pulse Blueprint on Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn.